right. Thanks, Casey. Um, yeah, so like he said, we just got back from Super Summer as of uh, yeah, or, uh, Friday. Feels like yesterday, though. Jeez. Good night. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a crazy week. Um, of all the weeks that I've been at Super Summer, this is my second as a sponsor, and then uh, I went for like six years as a student, and this was by far the craziest week I've ever been to. It was insane. Um, uh, a whirlwind, quite literally, because um, we had literally a tornado <laughs> on Monday um, on the other side of Salina. We were on one side of Salina, on the other side there was a freaking tornado that tore through the you know, the other side of it, and so we got some pretty intense winds, and you know when it's like raining hard enough that the rain starts going sideways? Yeah, that was going on, so it tore off a, a tree branch, um, when I say tree branch, I don't mean like tree branch, I mean like tree branch, you know, off of the side of a tree and dropped it on uh, one of the events there, and it, it was gone, so they fixed it by the end of the week, they had to build up the sides of it to make sure it was good to go, the blob got popped, it's somewhere at the bottom of the lake now, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. So yeah, we had an insane week. Uh, most of the, uh, all, all of the leaders, we all got hurt at some point in time <laughs> for the week. I did something weird to my elbow. I don't know. It was probably from dunking kids in the water. I don't remember what it was, but screwed up my elbow. And uh, Jen, Jen Miller, who's, uh, if you don't know her, if you've never met her, she's uh, Matt Miller's wife. Uh, Matt Miller is our uh, pastor out in the Shawnee campus. Um, so she went out with us, and uh, we were doing this thing called Ready to Fly, which it's a... Uh, You've got five people on one side and one person on the other, and they're both attached to the same rope. And it's up on a pulley system up on top, and you have them both run the opposite direction. So here's a physics lesson for you. Like, more mass on this side than this one. So as they start running, that one goes in the air. So it was really cool because, you know, you run off and you just fly in the air for a minute. Well, something went wrong, and Jen ended up just going straight up in the air and then came straight back down after they were coming back. And uh, she kind of landed, like, on her foot weird. And messed up her knee. So I had to let Matt know when we got back that I was not on the running team. <laughs> to make sure he knew that I was not responsible for that injury. Because, you know. Anyway. No, it was an awesome week. So although it was crazy, we had a lot of insane stuff happen. But there was also, like, God rocked it. Like, we had uh, uh, somewhere around six or seven uh, um, decisions made by our, own, by our own students that we brought. A lot of them from this campus. Um, either to rededicate their life or deal with some sin that they had in their life that they needed um, to take care of. And it was just a really powerful week. It always is. Um, it has a dear place in my heart, as Casey said. That's where I was called to ministry. So it's, it's really important to me. Their theme that week was authentic. I'm wearing the shirt. So the whole focus was how do we live an authentic life for Christ? You know, it's not counterfeit. It's not fake. It's not pretend. You know, what does an authentic life look like? And the, the series that we're going through, oh yeah, there's all of us, by the way doing silly stuff, but the, you know, the series we're going through is freedom, and uh, believe it or not, I think they're, they're pretty related, you know, our freedom and what authentic faith looks like, very connected, and uh, so this is the second week of this series. If you weren't here last week, Mitch Cunningham, one of our elders, shared his testimony going through um, um, alcoholism and drug abuse and all sorts of crazy stuff that he had to deal with. Um, in his youth and in, that affected him long into his adult life until Christ really transformed him into the man that he is now as an elder of our church. And uh, he, uh, he hit on this beginning part of freedom and used his own experience to kind of show us what that looks like in his own life. Um, and he started with this verse. It's uh, Romans 6, 1 through 2. And this is where we're going to begin our story today as well. Okay. It says, what should we say then? 
Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we, who died in sin, still live in it? Okay? It's a great question. And we're going to look at the passage right before this to try and get an idea of why Paul even asks this question. Why does he see this as a relevant question to even bring up to talk about? But the main answer that we're focusing on is this concept that it is absolutely not okay to do that. It's absolutely not all right to live in sin because we have died to that sin. It's no longer part of us. And we're going to explore that massive piece of this as well. And I like to use this analogy when I talk about it. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's like literally a zombie crawling out of the grave and trying to live around. And so what, what I do is whenever I fall into sin and make a mistake, say something to my wife I don't mean and, you know, that's hurtful or something and just, you know, have to come up and apologize, be like, I'm sorry, that was not right, that wasn't me, and I call this man Flesh Kyle, right? The person who's not me, he's, he's, he's Kyle in the flesh, you know, I'm not that guy, right? So I'm sorry. Um, I had to go take him back out to the grave he crawled out of, smash him in the head with a shovel and rebury him to make sure he doesn't come back up again. That's my bad, yeah? And I feel like I have to live this consistently, and and I think we all do, because we get tricked up in our mind that there's always grace. There's grace and truth, right? Today we're going to focus on the grace and see why the truth matters, I think is the main focus we're going to be poking at today. So we're going to camp out, like I said, in the passage right before this beginning of Romans chapter 6. So if you're good at math, that means we're in Romans 5, all right? So we're going to be in Romans 5, beginning in verse 12, all right? It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a prototype of the coming one. And I've got to be honest with you. I've studied a lot of scripture. I've read some really heavy passages that I've had to go through, right? Studied all of Revelation and picked it out the way that I can kind of understand it, whatever. This passage threw me for a loop. Like, what the heck is this supposed to mean? Like, it's so, I mean, there's so much in it. It was very difficult to understand. So I, I had to start with number one, one thing that I know. Okay, so what, what do I absolutely know no matter what? That's the story of Adam and Eve. Okay? So I'm gonna, we're going to wind all the way back to the book of Genesis. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to give you the TLDR version, which if you're not hip with the cool lingo, I'm definitely not, by the way, but I know this one stands for too long, didn't read. So we're going <laughs> we're gonna to look at that. Okay? The TLDR version of the uh, story of Adam and Eve. Okay, there was a man named Adam. He was the first man created by God. Right? God said, don't eat from that tree. But then Adam walked up, and his hot, naked wife was like, hey, you want a bite of this? And he's like, yes, I do. So, okay? And that's when everything fell. And that's funny, because that's such a, if you look at, like, the, the, the spectrum that is sin, okay? That's such a simple sin, isn't it? Don't eat this, but I want to, right? It's, like, literally the same as when you're a kid, and your mom turns on the stove, and it turns all bright and red and beautiful, and you say, I want to touch that. And your mom goes, don't touch that. And you go, but I want to. If you touch it and burn your finger, you go, God, now I see why you told me not to touch that, right? This is a very simple sin, very similar. Don't eat that, but I want to, so I do. And then I go, oh, that's why I didn't eat that, because after I did the entire, you know, mass of creation fell into death and everything. It's terrible to this day because of that one sin. 
the entire earth fell into sin, into sin and death. In fact, it says it rained from, you know, Adam to Moses. There's also this verse 13 that really confused me. Verse 13 says, in fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Really racked my brain trying to figure this out. So I had to go to somebody who was smarter than me to try and figure it out. This man happens to be David Guzik. I don't know, those of you who know, who know me well, I'm looking at Timmy right now, he's smiling at me because he always, I always point him there when he has got a question. So, but no, David Guzik is, is my man. I've never met him before, he doesn't know who I am. So, um, but uh, he's a, a pastor out west. Um, he's part of the Calvary Chapel movement out on the west coast. Um, at one point was uh, the head pastor at um, Calvary Chapel Bible College in Germany. And uh, he has his entire commentary that he's written online free of use, which is great. So if you don't want to go out and buy a massive commentary for 70 bucks, that's okay. There's one on the internet for free, and it's actually really good. So um, David Guzik went in, studied the Greek of this passage pretty deeply, and um, this passage has been difficult to translate by translators for a long time. So I went with someone who's smarter than me on what this means, Okay. And he said this quote, um, the law was too late to prevent sin and death, and it is too weak to save from sin and death. And here's, here's the mindset of this, okay? A lot of Christians get this mindset that sin is breaking the rules, right? But that can't be true. Because if we look at this, right, the law was established in Exodus. It was handed down to Moses, the Ten Commandments, right, the beginning of it. If you don't know the story, he walks up to the top of the mountain. God carves in some stone tablets, ten rules to follow. They include don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor the Sabbath, all of those ones, right? Comes down the mountain. He's got both of them and sees everybody, you know, worshiping a golden calf now, breaks them, and God has to make a new one, and that's the one, yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's a really long story, but that's where, the, that's where the law was first brought. And that was already, it's been a long time since humanity has even existed to that point. And sin reigned before that, it says. Death reigned before Moses. So obviously, sin can't be breaking the rules. It has to be something else, right? And I think it's really important to understand what sin is because if it was so powerful to make the entire world fall into death, that might be something we want to pay attention to, right? Something as simple as eating a fruit that God told you not to makes the entire massive creation fall into death, both spiritually and physically, like, must be a pretty heavy deal. So we need to find out what this is. This is something we need to avoid that much. What is sin? We've already covered it's not breaking the rules. That's what a lot of Christians think, like I told you. So um, me and my buddy Timmy over here and my buddy Lindsay back there, anyone else? Okay, all went to a Christian school, all right? When I was in, and Timmy, you went from kindergarten on, right? You were the whole time, okay? Yeah, right? So I started in third grade until I graduated, uh, until I graduated high school. And uh, I like to joke around and say that I got a seminary degree by the time I was in fifth grade just because it was just like massive download of information every day in school. Um, and I don't want to dog on private schools by any means. Um, I'm really glad I went there because I learned a lot. But also there's a lot of things that just really screwed with me. You know, there's a lot of things that were done very wrong. Um, one of those in particular was managing sin. Um, they did not have a grasp on what sin was. 
but then sin was breaking the rules. So like I had, for example, okay, they took this passage in, uh, I think it's in Leviticus, or it might even be Proverbs, I don't even know. It says, uh, a man's long hair is ashamed to his name. So the requirement was to keep your, a guy's hair could not be below his eyebrows, um, the back of the hair couldn't touch the collar, um, and the sides couldn't, cover, couldn't touch the ears. Sideburns had to be above the earlobe, and I couldn't have any facial hair. I'm literally breaking all of those rules right now, right? <laughs> literally all of them. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, have you guys seen pictures of Jesus? Like, that's the story. He was rocking a beard, man. So, anyway, flowy hair, too. You guys seen the movies, right? Okay. Now, he, uh, like, that was one, for example. You know, you get in trouble if I showed up and I hadn't shaved, or I need, I'd get sent home if I had to have a haircut. Like, I took it pretty seriously. Additionally, tattoos were, you couldn't have tattoos, right? Because there's a verse in Leviticus that says, you know, do not make any marks on your body of the dead, nor should you put tattoo marks on yourself. I think it's Leviticus 19.7, I think. Okay. The funny thing is, I used to argue with teachers, which this was wrong, but it is funny. I used to argue with teachers over it because, like, the verse literally before it says, men, do not shave the edges of your beard. So I'd ask them why they didn't have curly sideburns. And then I got sent to the principal's office. So it was ridiculous. And it went, and those are silly things. But it did actually affect people in a bad way. For example, I had a friend of mine um, in my class. Um, you know, she, she slept with her boyfriend. That was against the rules. They weren't married. Okay, so they had sexual relations before marriage. So her dad found out and took it to the school board, and they decided to expel her. She ended up having a child because of that, those sexual relations. She got pregnant, and she was basically excommunicated by everyone who could have helped her. That's not what the church is supposed to do, right? If that's what the church is supposed to do, I don't want to be a part of it you're going to kick somebody out of school because they made a mistake, it's terrible. And she still to this day is plagued by that. That's not okay. And she was not the only one either. It happened to multiple people. See, if we screw up what sin really is, we can hurt other people. We don't live in authentic faith, right? So then what is it? That's what the real question is. If it's not breaking the rules, because that's what everyone told me it was, what is it then? So here's another thing I've heard. Sin is anything um, that separates us from God. Yes, that is true. But that still doesn't tell me what it is, right? I can't say, let's use the tattoos for example. Is it, putting a tattoo mark on my skin, does that separate me from God? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, does another big buzzword, does drinking alcohol, does that separate me from God? I don't, I don't know. What is it? That definition does not explain it to me. Another one I've heard a million times is uh, sin is anything that is not of God. Like the last one I just said, it's very true. Absolutely true. Sin is anything that is not of God. And I think that this is bringing us much closer to where we need to be but it still doesn't describe it for me. So I want to look to Scripture to answer that question. So if sin is anything that is not of God, 
what is God? That's the real question, right? That's where we're supposed to focus. That's the way we're supposed to live. Now, what is God? Luckily for us, Scripture has the answer to that question. If you go to 1 John, beginning in chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 to you. Beloved, let us love one another, for God, or I'm sorry, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is what? God is love, right? So I'm an English teacher. That's my real job. I, I, was, I tried to joke on the first service and realized halfway through that's not the real joke. I said, I don't always wrangle teenagers, but no, I do always wrangle teenagers. <laughs> that is my job, okay? So I'm an English teacher, that, and that phrase, God is love, that word is is what we call a linking verb, right? Because remember linking verbs? Think way back to eighth grade. Linking verb, this is how I teach to my students, is an equal sign, right? This is this, right? literally the same. This equals this. God equals love. They are one and the same, right? So what is anything that separates us from God? What is something that is not of God? Sin is what is unloving. Sin is not breaking the rules. Sin is breaking love. Sin is actually breaking God, really, right? Sin is what is unloving. Now, here's the cool thing. Right after that verse, God gives us a picture of what the opposite of sin looks like, what love really is. Gives us a perfect picture of it. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love we just talked about, God being love, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. The perfect example of self-sacrifice to bring us love. It's really important to find out what this love is, too. Because if we go way back to creation, okay, if we step back into that story for a moment, okay, the Bible says that God created man in his own image, and I've heard so many theological arguments about what that is. What does it mean we are created in God's own image? Let me give you some of the top ones. Here's the first argument I always hear. Humans have emotion. The rest of creation doesn't have that. Well, I call bull on that because how many of you guys have a dog, right? How many times has your dog chewed on the carpet and you go, don't do that, stupid dog, bad dog, get in the corner, right? <laughs> what does that dog do immediately? Tail between the legs, ears down, starts whining, backs up slowly. We call that emotion guilt and fear, okay? All right? So, of course, animals can show emotion, okay? So, here's the next one I always hear. Uh, the rest of creation doesn't have logic and reasoning, okay? Seems like a very real question. Aristotle would applaud that, I think, um, except for he thought our heart was, you know, our brain was here, and we don't, this is a useless organ, so Aristotle didn't really think through everything entirely, did he? Um, but, uh, no, our ability to reason and logic is what makes us like God. I disagree. Because a primate, for example, an ape in particular, can make tools, right? We've observed that. Science has proven that. That an animal, like a primate, can use a stick or a rock to create a hammer or probing device. 
That's logic and reasoning, right? If I use this and I stick, I lick it and I stick it in the hole, then ants come out and I can eat them, all right? Very basic reasoning and logic, okay? So that can't be it, all right? Because we have language. That's the other argument I always hear. We have a very sophisticated language that we can speak, okay? That also is not true. Animals can also speak. Let's go back to apes again, right? Okay, so we, we can teach apes sign language. Did you know that? You can talk to an ape with sign language. Okay, you can, we've also um, observed their ability to communicate with other animals of their own species, and it appears that their language is based off a desire for food. Our language is based off the five senses, if you didn't know that. Okay, so if you go down to the basic pieces of our language, we use our five senses to explain what we see around us, or what we experience. An ape does the same thing, they just use food as their focus, which, that sounds awesome, okay? <laughs> Dolphins do the same thing, they just warn for impending fear, or impending uh, uh, warnings for attacks and stuff. They have a very sophisticated language of squeaks and ticks. So it's not that, it's not language, it can't be it. So what is it? What separates us from humans? Um, what, what makes humans separated from creation, rather? The Bible already told us we're made in the image of God. What is God? Love. We have the ability to love. No other animal can do that. You say, no, my dog cuddles up with me. Okay, sure, right, right. So he can love in that way. But the love that we're talking about is agape. It's much stronger than that love. Because the word love in English is confusing because I can love my wife, my dad, and pizza. Right? You don't. You won't. You wouldn't be like you're weird if I say I love pizza. You'd be like me too. Right? Everybody loves pizza. Okay. See, the Greeks figured that out. They had five different words for love, which I won't go into, except for one of them, which is agape. They had a love for romance. They had a love for inanimate objects. They had a love for siblings and fr or, uh, for brothers and close friends. They had. They also had a love for unconditional. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. They had a, a love that, that measured the love, um, unconditional, um, unfaltering love, regardless of situation. Okay? The kind of love where if you steal something from my house, I don't try to kill you. <laughs> in fact, I invite you in for dinner and I offer you a place to stay. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. The kind of love that says, I created this wonderful race of humans. They walked against me, and I sent my own son to die in their place so that I can be with them for eternity. That kind of love. That's the kind of love that we have the ability to use. We are created with that inane sensibility to have love. But we weren't good at it. Okay, which brings me back to that verse. The end of it. Um, beginning in verse 14 says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He, Adam, was a prototype of the coming one. Okay? Now, how many of you guys are engineers? Anybody engineers in here? Casey again. Casey's the only really smart one in here, apparently, right? Okay, so... I know this is right because Casey gave me the thumbs up last time, but the, the, here's, here's how a, a, a basic piece of engineering works, right? If I want to develop a new product, 
I have to create a prototype, something that I think is the best representative of what I want to do. Set it out, try and use it in the way that I want it to, recognize its flaws, and then release a better product, right? The whole purpose is to see how good I did on my first try, watch it make its mistakes, and then re-release like re a better version and put it to market. A prototype isn't intended to fail, but it generally happens, right? So like, for example, if they're getting ready to release a new prototype plane, and it's this first maiden journey ever, how many of you guys are hopping on that thing? <laughs> Alvin? See ya in heaven, buddy, all right? <laughs> no, yeah, no one's hopping on that plane, right? Because it's a prototype. It's not meant to be perfect. Adam was the prototype for what? The coming one. That's Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ was that product that was re-released and sent out to market because it was better, faster, stronger, right? It covered all the bases that humans failed at. And what was it we failed at? Love. That was what we were supposed to do, and we fell short. We did okay, and then we ate the stupid fruit. You know? We sinned against God. That was unloving. And all of us have done the same, right? Nobody is exempt from that status. I've messed up, and so have you, right? Well, Jesus Christ took what the failure was that Adam had and came back out as a better person, right? He was more than a man, right? He was also God. Because that's when God looked out and he saw the issue that humanity had brought, that he was unable to love, he says, well, how do I fix this problem? I know, I inject love itself into man, right? So he took God, love, his son, and made him a man. God in the flesh, as scripture calls him, right? And brought him into the world. He was perfect. He fixed all the problems that we had. Did it better than us. Never sinned. And then he actually died for us, the perfect level of love, right? No greater love there is than this, than a man who lays down his life for his friends. That's what scripture says, right? That's exactly what Jesus did, right? Okay. Now here's the cool thing. When Christ came back, or when, when Christ came into the world as the, as the correction to the failed prototype, the prototype didn't get thrown in the trash. That was you and me, right? God loved us enough that he decided he wanted to have a factory recall, okay? Replace the broken pieces and re-release. Create a new creation in you and me. That's exactly what he does through Christ Jesus. Christ lives in me. So I literally have God living in me. How wild is that? Which means I literally have love flowing out of me. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Now the cool thing is, is God had all of this planned out from the beginning. I think I told you early on that I was going to explain that. Why would God, the loving God, create something to fail? Why would he do that? Now, we weren't created to fail. I want to replace that, that mind thought, that, that, that mind process. We weren't created to fail. We were created to love. That was our purpose. But we failed, right? It wasn't God's mistake. 
that was on us. But he knew it was going to happen, and he did it for a reason. If you look, continuing on from where we left off in verse 15, it says, but the gift, the gift is eternal life, is not like the trespass. That was the sin committed by Adam and you and me and everyone else, right? But the gift is not like the trespass, for if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God, or how much, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ? He's saying that even though we all sinned, and we all made terrible mistakes, how much better is it now that we all can live in great, by the grace of God, right? So like, Mitch isn't here now, but how many of you guys saw Mitch last week? Right? So he shared a really heavy testimony about walking through alcoholism and drug abuse and um, adultery and all sorts of terrible things that he, that he did all the way through his adulthood. And now he's an elder of our church because God has put grace on all of that, forgiven him of all those trespasses and made him a new man. Mitch went through that factory recall and got the parts fixed and re-released, right? So did I, and so did hopefully many of you. And that's where God says, look how awesome I am. Because I could take someone like Mitch, who was a screw-up, right? I was a screw-up too, and so were you. I can take something so messed up, and because of the re-release of my son, Jesus Christ, I can now make them perfect. Boom, I'm awesome. That's what God says. All right? Keep going. And the gift is not like the one man's sin. That's Adam's sin. Because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Once again, from one man's mistake came the condemnation of all humanity. It's pretty serious. But... Even better, from one man's gift. Came the removal of all of them through justification. That's just as cool. On the on the much better side, right? Continuing on, since by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? through the one man, Jesus Christ. How much more now? It's almost as if God is saying, you guys can't sin enough. I already got it covered. Continuing on in verse 18. This one's my favorite. So then, as though one trespass, or so then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, Sacrifice. There is life-giving justification for everyone. Okay? Here's the crazy part. There's some pieces of Christianity that believe that Christ's death was only good enough for the people who decide to follow him. It's only good enough for the people who decide to make him Lord of their life. And once we get to the end of, you know, time... And we end up in heaven, just those people who are led in Christ's sacrifice is only good enough for those people. 
That's not what this verse says. So then, as through one trespass, there's condemnation for everyone. Everyone means everyone, right? So also, through one righteous act, there is life-giving justification for who? Everyone. Every single person, even Hitler, if he would have followed, you know, right? As bad as it possibly can get, you are not too far from grace. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Christ did not have to die for us, but God asked him to, and he did anyway. It's obedience at its fullest, right? Through his obedience, you and I can have life. Through one failure, there was death for everyone, right? Through one success, the perfectly released product, Jesus Christ, there's life for every single one of us. Freedom in Christ. Let's end up back at Romans 6, 1 and 2 where we started. And hopefully this verse will make even more sense. Where I just left off reading is where we go to the next chapter where Paul begins this passage. What should we say then? Should we continue to sin? Continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Because look at all that Christ has done through the sins that you and I have committed. Look at all the grace that he's been able to hand out from all the mistakes that you and I have made. So should we continue to sin so that grace can be even greater? Paul recognizes how ridiculous that question is. It's absolutely not. Right? And it makes it so painfully obvious as you read why that was not a good idea. Because now we're perfect. God has created us again a second time. He's given us God to live inside our lives so that we no longer have the faults of the prototype we originally had. Right? We're not perfect. We don't have to sin. Because we already killed and buried that guy and smacked him on the head with a shovel. And he's there forever, as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to see him again. Okay? So absolutely not. We should not go on to sin. Because how can we, who died to sin, still live in it? That's just like a slave saying, going back to their slave driver and saying, can you put the shackles back on me again? Since it's Independence Day, almost, It'd be like calling back up England saying, hey, is it cool if we'd be colonies again? Like, <laughs> that's ridiculous, right? Ridiculous. The logic is unending here. Of course not. Should not continue in sin because we, that's not part of us anymore. Listen to prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for everybody here. Thank you for the grace that abounds continuously in our life. Thank you for your son, through his actions, has the ability to cover the sins for all of humanity. Even after Adam's silly sin of eating a fruit and destroying creation from that very moment, you know, it covers that one and all the ones afterwards. We thank you that grace has multiplied as far as it has, but we also thank you that it doesn't have to go any further because we've put to death the sinful man. 
and now we can live in life with you. Thank you that you've uh, repaired the inability to love in our lives once we bring you in. So God, I pray that you continue to inject love into our lives continuously so that we can overflow onto everyone around us. So that this mission in Edgerton reaches every house. So that the church across the nation is able to touch every single person. And so that around the world, people can feel your love. God, we thank you again for everything you've done. We thank you for your son. We thank you for this brand new day where mercies are new. I pray you bless each one of us for the rest of the day. In your name we pray.